Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. This is Proper 18 in Year C. Our current series is called Hard Truth. We are following Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem. As he journeys to his cross, he encounters different people and speaks to them, and his words sometimes have a hard edge to them. He is not uh, holding anything back as he speaks about discipleship, life, death, We are listening to some of these hard sayings from Jesus and then to related sections of scripture that echo or expand on these hard truths. Jesus is challenging us as preachers to listen to these words and to wrestle with them. And through us, he wants to issue those same challenges to our listeners. It all is out of love for us. Jesus wants us to take up our crosses and follow him so that we too can share in his crown. As I mentioned, we're in Proper 18. That's the Sunday that falls on or between September 4th and 10th. The theme tying the readings together this week is put down what you love, pick up what you loathe. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Let's say hi to our preachers for this series. Uh, Pastor John Bergaman, serving Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois, is here with us, as is Pastor Ben Tomzak, who serves Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And with us today is Pastor and former Professor James Tiefel, serving Trinity and St. John's in Mequon, Wisconsin. John Bergman, let's start with you today. Get us thinking about the theme for this week in the Hard Truth series. What Thank you, is, John. Yeah, what is put down what you love, pick up what you loathe all about? Sure, happy to do that. Just a note as we get going here. Um, once upon a time when I sang in the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Choir, I sang tenor. Uh, today I'd be singing bass. Um, I have some allergies going on, so my voice is a little lower today for our listeners. Hopefully uh, I, I will still come through though, clearly, but thank you in advance yeah. everyone for putting up with that. But yeah, what, what's that theme about? Put down what you love, pick up what you loathe. Uh, it's an unavoidable hard truth our relationship with jesus will put us in situations where we must decide where love for him ranks compared to love for other people and things jesus is not content to be one of many important things in our life he wants to be first he wants us to follow his word uh, even when he might ask us to do difficult things and so as a result following jesus at times will force us to let go of things we love and embrace things we would naturally loathe, and namely, especially the cross. But Jesus is loving and honest. He doesn't hide this hard truth. Uh, He tells us up front that we must count the cost of following him. And that means calculating what we might have to give up as his followers. He wants us to to do that now ahead of time, rather than waiting until we are in the the heat of the moment or emotions are running high. But our, our calculation should not only consider what we might give up for Jesus, it also means calculating what we will get through him in following Jesus. When we perceive the infinite blessings we find in Christ, the decisions we make will difficult will be clear. Whatever is lost as we follow Jesus pales in comparison to what we gain. Uh, thanks for that summary. Um, ben Tomzak, uh, we are going to be focusing on the gospel today as our preaching text but could you set that in context of the first and second readings and give us a summary of those uh, for today? Absolutely. Thank you, John. Um, so as you said, we're hearing a bunch of words in these weeks that, that sometimes have a hard edge to them, and, and the gospel especially does. 
these words aren't as uh, hard on their edge, but they, they, they come across very, very tough when we dig into them. And it's about counting costs. And, and Moses starts us out in Deuteronomy and he says, this is a life or death thing I'm talking to you about. And that's an idiom we use all the time. Oh, this is a life or death decision. And, and usually it's like not actually. But in Deuteronomy, Moses says, this really for sure is actually life and death. It is life when you live with God, following his word. And it is death if you don't. It's death if you line up behind these other gods, which you have said so boldly. Oh, I'll never do that again. But I'm telling you one more time, that will be death for you. And the word makes it very plain, just as Jesus will make very plain what it means to be a disciple, or as he actually says, you are not a disciple. Paul, um, I'm sorry, Moses says the same thing. This word is so plain. It's not on some high mountaintop that only one in a million people can climb to. It's not some magical flower. There's only one of hidden somewhere. And if you can get it, maybe you can find it. No, it's right here. This word is here. And it says these life or death things. So you got to know what it is you're choosing when you say, yes, I will follow it. And then in Philemon, we actually see a, a living, breathing example of this in the lives of three Christians, Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, that, that this new life actually is about life and death. And it's, it's, it's really a thing. And the death is killing the things that we desire. We desire things like our rights. Uh, Philemon had every right to, to buy back, not buy back, just to take back Onesimus, sell him to whoever he wanted. He has power over this person, which is not really a person, he's just property, his authority. And now Paul says to him, you got to give that up. You got to give that up and willingly. Um, you've got to let a strange thing like a slave be your brother in Christ. And, and then for Paul himself, a strange thing happened. The slave becomes his very heart. So John was telling us the theme of putting down things we love and picking up things we loathe, that we would change all relationships for Christ so much so that we would even pay everything. That's what Paul says he's willing to do. Onesimus, any money you owe, you charge it to my account. I'll take care of it. Even without being asked, though, Paul says that's exactly what we would do, which is a, a clever little thing he does. He says to Philemon, I know that you will because you're in Christ. He plays a cool trick. He, he puts a guy on the committee publicly before the guy agrees to be on the committee. I know you do all of this without even being asked, Philemon, mm -hmm. because you already know the cost of being a follower of Jesus because you know your Savior Jesus and the life that he gave for you. So we see the, this counting of costs so beautifully laid out for us here in Deuteronomy and Philemon, which we'll then focus on in our gospel. Yeah, thank you very much, Ben. Um, well, our suggested sermon text is Luke 14, 25 to 35, the gospel of the day. Uh, Jim Tiefel, could you get us started as we think about preaching this text? Highlight whatever you'd like. Well, it's, it's it's really kind of a, it's a, an interesting text because it's kind of an evangelism call that seems to come from the wrong direction. It, it doesn't have a parallel in the New Testament. Matthew 10 talks about the difficulties among family members, but the context is completely different. Um, when, when Jesus notices people out in the field, he talks about those who had been harassed and helpless he had compassion on them. He says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Um, you think of his contacts with the sinful woman or with the woman at Jacob's well. I mean, his approach is totally different. There's, there is no gospel invitation in this text. Um, 
And, and you, you understand, I think, as you watch carefully in the context, I mean, he's, he's, he's in Korea in, where, where they haven't heard him. There's a lot of people intrigued by him. They're thinking about um, what physical things they might gain if they follow it, that if they follow him. And he sensed that there were a lot of people who were really following him for the wrong direction. So it's, it's kind of it's it's harsh. I mean, if you you don't think this this following me to Jerusalem is going to be easy, so you, you you have to kind of ask yourself. Now all these people that I'm preaching to, they're here because they do follow me. I mean, they followed they followed me since they were baptized. They give generously. They raise their families. They're kind to their neighbors. They. They just do a lot of good things, but the ones who don't come, they're probably the ones that this text is addressed to. But the ones who do come, they've, they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is important to them. It, I, I just kind of got the feeling that, that you're in a situation where Jesus' disciples and those who had determined to follow him are kind of standing around and listening to this monologue that Jesus is having with these people and kind of listening to a conversation that isn't really directed at them, but are gaining something from it as they listen. And I, I wonder if when I preach this, I don't present this as kind of a checklist for practicing Christians. The actions that Jesus is calling for in this text are really critical to long-term discipleship. I mean, every single thing that Jesus says is critical for my long walk with Jesus. And it kind of encourages my listeners to assess if they are practicing what it takes to be a follower of Jesus as, as they go forward. So I'm thinking that I want them to compare where they're at with where Jesus wants them to go and to kind of take a look inside and to take a look around themselves. And I mean, they've already thought about building the tower and they made a decision, um, but, but do they really understand the implications of that? Are, are they really living through those implications? <clears throat> um, I thought to myself, law and gospel, I don't think, are in the content of this text, but I think that they have to be mentioned either in introduction or in summary and maybe in both. This is what happens apart from the walk with Jesus. This is what happens with the walk of Jesus. But I'm not so sure I would be willing to do that along the way as I walk through these various steps. I'll, I'll be interested to see what the other guys have to say. I would, I would also consider making Jesus the subject of this sermon. And I think, I think one of you alluded to that, that here Jesus is giving me an opportunity because he loves me to take a careful look at myself and to see where I am. I, I might even put him in the theme that he's, um, Jesus is giving me an opportunity or calling me to, um, to analyze myself. 
I don't know if this text divides. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced I have two parts here. This may be just a one-part sermon, although it could divide. And we can talk about that as we go forward. I guess yeah. that's what I'm seeing as the structure of this sermon. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you mentioned the word assess, uh, and that's maybe a good one uh, to keep in mind. Um, uh, a self-assessment. Uh, Jesus is asking listeners to conduct um evaluating, as you mentioned, where they are versus where Jesus wants them to be. Um, yeah, uh, John and Ben, let me open it up to you, too, for your insights or reactions to what Jim has presented, um, thoughts in response to that, or you want to add on to uh, what he has said, um, addressing kind of the, the main points that he's raised or the structure of the sermon, how you want to go about preaching it. I, I think that's a fine way to approach it, the assessment there, and uh, what a shocking assessment it really is, especially as you get into verse 26, you know, using language like whoever does not hate his father and mother and so forth, and obviously you, you unpack that meaning, you know, it means to love God even more, but at first it's easy for me to assess how this applies to everyone else, you know, I, I've been at the confirmation ceremony, perhaps just like you have, where the confirmant's promising to be faithful to God until death, rather you know, than depart from God's word. And inside my mind, I'm going, yeah, but you're not going to. You don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I, I've been, I've seen the families that say, yeah, we'll bring them to church every Sunday, but then you realize they're not going to do that. But then God calls me to look into my own heart and mind and, and say this too, is this how I follow Jesus willingly to give up, to lay down all of my life? Some of those people who are listening into this conversation, his disciples, would be called to do this very thing, to give up their lives as martyrs for Christ. And I will admit that as much as I uh, whine about how much I have to go through for him, <laughs> that, that has not been called of me. And when I start to look into my heart, the law does hit me. And I say, dear Lord God, um, is this me? This seems even impossible. I need your help. So yeah, that assessment track is a good one to get into the law and, and really apply it to us and, and our followers personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as Jim said, maybe you could do that uh, near the beginning of the sermon. And then maybe John, you're thinking more toward the end after you expound the text or different points of the text, really bringing it home in that way. Um, or maybe not the end of the sermon only, but maybe mentioning it prior to that too, as application. Uh, ben, any, any thoughts? Um, on the main themes woven throughout this text or the main points or, or the structure? I, I, I agree. I like the idea that word assessment and thinking about it and, and uh, you know, that crowd, you, you talked about it, Jim, the crowd and, and other commentators talked about it. One, one phrase I came across, a wild and unthinking enthusiasm that they had for Jesus. These thousands who they, they found the Messiah or at least a miracle worker and, and then um, Martin Franzman talks about it then when he kind of shifts to, like you said, now we're preaching in front of people who know a little bit more about Jesus and those crowds. But he, he used a phrase, people with a romantic enthusiasm or illusions about victory without war, as if this is all just going to be wonderful, amazing, uh, a blessed activity all the time. And, and, and Jesus uses a parable about going off to war. 
you got to count the cost of war or a big building project. And anyone who's going through a building project at church knows this is like the worst thing we've ever done in the history of our church, the project, you know, people leaving church because of it or 8 million decisions, or it's a 10 year plan. And, and Jesus is just saying, do you get it? And, and with those two, and he bookends his parables with the phrases, you can't be my disciples. Now, there's no suggestion of, eh, maybe, you know, we kind of like to hedge bets. Well, it looks like you're in trouble. No, you can't be my disciples. So you're either all in or you're all out on being a disciple of Jesus. And, and like you said, these uh, the disciples listening in, and maybe there's where the connection from what Jim said, our members listening in who are tempted to do the them thing. Yeah, that, that wild and unthinking crowd. Oh, how all in am I really on Christ and what flows from that um, if if I can barely be moved to be here for an hour, you know, if that's really straining me to listen to the Lord for an hour, and I don't know how all in we really are. I am. Um, I thought to myself that I might use verse 25 as, as the introduction before I actually um, note the theme or however I'm going to begin and just kind of, you know, explain to them, here's a group of people that Jesus is noticing was was not making a decision for the right reason and and then using that as the segue and there comes a time in our lives where we have to do the same thing and i think some of the things that ben mentioned some of those quotes are are really interesting you know the the romantic approach to christianity or i mean that's how so many of the evangelicals think that all i have to do is obey some laws and my life is going to get better you know they, they forget the whole the whole concept of confession absolution of you know the living through life under the cross and and then once i once i say to them okay now you have to you have to ask yourself where you stand here then then launching into verse 26 and beginning that discussion don't know if i would do that but thinking about that right um, how much of the sermon, uh, or what, in what way do you go about this when you preach on texts that include some of these hard sayings of Jesus, um, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, uh, such a person cannot be my disciple. Um, I mean, there, there is such power in those words. Um, I'm always afraid kind of when I explain them, I don't, I don't want to explain them too much and kind of take some of the, the jarring quality out of them. But I also feel the need, especially for you know, people who have not been Christians for a long time, I better explain this a little bit or set it in context. Just a, a question for all of you. How do you go about um, explaining these hard sayings of Jesus without maybe over explaining them? Any suggestions there for preachers? And you could probably include other phrases in the same text too in that. Well, I, I think you have to start by saying, by, by letting them know what Jesus isn't saying. I mean, he isn't setting aside the fourth commandment. Um, and, and I think in a, in, in, as you explain each one of these, as you go forward, these are things that you need to be keeping. You, you need to care for aging parents. You need to obey your mom and dad. You need to keep relationships with your brothers and sisters. You strive for all of these things. But when you begin to notice, and I think you can come up with examples, when you begin to notice that you are loving Jesus less than them, less than they, 
then you know you're in trouble. Um, and you have to start being careful. Like, like if I let my dad constantly take Jesus' name in vain in conversation, and I just put up with it because that's the way dad is. I mean, eventually I have to say something to him or, or I'm, I'm, I'm just not loving Jesus as I need to. Valuing your life. You ought to value your life. The fifth commandment tells you to value your life. Um, being willing to, to carry the cross of persecution. Hardly any of you is doing this, but you could. And if the day comes when Jesus sets that before you, then, well, that's what he set before you. So I think you have to, you have to explain to them, this is what he isn't saying, and this is what he is saying. Most of those people sitting out there are never going to have to face death because they're Christians. But what if they would? Mm -hmm. Right. It reminds me of last week we were discussing uh, one of the proverbs, uh, proverb about humility, and and we noted that um, in in explaining the proverbs sometimes or proverbial sayings of Jesus would be included in this too, and maybe this is one. Um, or you could put it could put it in that category. Part of it is, yeah, kind of uh, testing the limits of the proverb. You know what what is not being said here, uh, so as not to take whatever Jesus says and run with it in a, in a direction that he does not intend. So, yeah, I think there does need to be some of that clarifying what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying in light of other scriptures. Uh, you guys, you guys see at this. Would, would you at this point point out sin and preach law when you get to each one of these? I probably wouldn't, but I might be wrong in that approach. In other words, when I identify what Jesus wants, is it time for me to say, and you haven't done this. Therefore, you stand under God's judgment. Yeah, what do you guys think, uh, John? If I, you were maybe implying that earlier that maybe after you uh, uh, unpack one of these statements of Jesus, maybe it does naturally lead to some self-reflection or uh, preaching of the law at that point. Yeah, it, it could. I mean, I don't know exactly what point, right? You, you'd bring that in. Um, you kind of get to the end of this, and once you start to do that self-assessment, it is, well, what about me? <laughs> um, once I really start applying this to myself, I start to fall on my knees and just cry out, dear God, this sounds impossible and I haven't done it, <laughs> which then seems to lead right into the gospel of, of how this can be resolved in Christ and the, and the power of his spirit. But um, I, I think including myself as a preacher in this could be helpful, right? Because I don't want to just stand up there and point the finger and say, you people haven't done this. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm right with them, too. And I, I mean, what were the disciples thinking as they were overhearing this? They, I, I don't think they thought, well, that's been us all the way. We've been arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven and, and all this. They, they must have been convicted, too, even though they maybe were the overhearers, if not the direct ones. So, I don't know. Yeah, Ben? And if you're just kind of preaching your way through this kind of as a homily, you know, taking your way through the conversation, letting it dawn on them. I mean, Jesus himself does make a switch. In verse 27, he kind of speaks in the hypothetical. Anyone who wouldn't carry his cross can't be my disciple. In verse 33, 
he very specifically says, any of you who does not, then he, then he makes it personal. So there is kind of a shift. Jesus even has his own language there. It's almost the inductive kind of, yeah, okay, I'm hearing these, they're all nodding their heads. Yeah, of course, I wouldn't just start building without, you know, checking my budget. Yeah, yeah, make an architectural plan. Yeah, if I'm a king, I'm going to just go crazy into war. I'm going to see what kind of soldiers I got. Yeah, yeah, of course. And said, so, no, what about you? So he does kind of hold the you a little bit to the end and then crushes them with the word about salt. So it could be kind of the inductive uh, way into it. Right, right. Um, speaking of that, that word about salt, um, it's a, yeah, fascinating proverb. What, uh, what do you make of that? And how do you expound that verse in relation to the rest of the text before it? Well, you know, I, I said, I didn't, I thought that this could be preached as a homily or, or, or without, a, without parts. I could also see you dividing it in, in this way that, that verses 26 and 27 um, would lead to the concept of be prepared for this. Be prepared for this situation with your family. Be prepared for this situation with your life. Be prepared for this situation with carrying the cross. And then, as, as Ben noted, he, he, he does seem to go in, the, the, the mood changes somewhat when he gets to 28. And I wonder if that couldn't lead me to the thought of ponder. So in, in the first part where I go through those issues, there. I can I can plan on these things happening. Now in in the second part, I ponder daily what this means. I think about this. The way the way I the way I act is going to control my life. So it's never something that really leads me away. And then I get to to the last verse about the salt, and it it dawns on me that it could indeed happen to me that. I look good on the outside, but there's really nothing there on the inside. And that's what finally, and there, there's Jesus saying to me, behold, I set before you life and death, you know, the, the situation with Moses. And now I have to think about that. So I could see dividing this into two. I think I can hold a difference between planning and pondering, but I don't, maybe I couldn't. But. But I, but I'm, I, there is a difference, don't you think, between the tone of 20, 20, um, 26 and 27 and 28 through the end? Mm -hmm. Yeah, even in the, the, the structure of kind of those, the, the mini parables, building the tower, going to war. Um, yeah, that seems to be a, a transition there going into that section. And as Ben noted, yeah, Jesus makes it personal, uh, kind of brings it home in verse 33 uh, to make sure that his listeners are not thinking about this uh, as it relates to everybody else. You know, this is for you too, Jesus says. Uh, yeah, the salt uh, proverb is interesting related to, yeah, uh, other salt proverbs or um, sayings that Jesus has used before in the Gospels or in different Gospels. Um, but here it is. Yeah, I like how you put it, Jim. Uh, what if I'm looking good on the outside, but there really is nothing inside anymore? What if the salt has lost its saltiness? Um, could this happen to me? 
um, there's the, yeah, the $64,000 question for, for self-assessment. Um, how, what gospel truths uh, do you proclaim here in answer to the, to what is exposed by this self-assessment? Um, this, this is a, a text where it, a lot of uh, cautions are given, a lot of opportunities for um, really uh, hard self-examination, opportunities for law preaching. Where do you bring in the gospel and what aspects of the gospel do you emphasize? That's an excellent question, John, because I'm here, we can read this and say, well, who in the world would ever want to do this? Why? This just sounds terrible. <laughs> but Knowing our identity uh, connected to the one who's calling us to do this changes things. I mean, for, I mean, first of all, Jesus did this for us. He, he willingly gave his life for me, or even, you know, as the father sends his son to die for me, it almost appears that the father loves me more than his son <laughs> as he goes and sends him to the cross to, to die for me. I mean, the one who's calling me to do this is the one who loves me more than any other, any mother or brother or sister or person in this life. Um, so that helps <laughs> to see what he has done for me. This has to be words of someone who loves me deeply and cares for me deeply, not just someone who's going to see how much I can go through. Um, maybe that's one place to begin some gospel thoughts. I have some others too, but I'll turn it over to the other guys. Okay. Yeah. So pointing people to the one speaking these words and Jesus heart of love that leads him to speak these words. Okay. Uh, other gospel uh, points of contact here. I thought of uh, you know, building it into what you've been given because uh, the danger, if we plan and we ponder and we assess and it can just become me-centered, right? I, I Either I become the rich young man, well, I've done all these things since I was a lad. You know, the disciples, we did give up everything or I'm so crushed by despair because I keep not calling out my dad when he's swearing or taking God's name in vain, or, or I, I keep skipping the divine service, whatever it may be. And, and then I read Galatians where it says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He counted the cost, like John was saying, he paid the price and he brought me into this. Um, uh, a quote from Basil the Great, by bearing the cross, also he announced the death of his Lord, saying, the world is crucified to me and I to the world, which we also anticipate at our baptism in which our old man is crucified, that the body of sin may be destroyed. In other words, once Jesus says, carry your cross, we can't help but think of his and everything that happened there and how we were brought to that cross. Um, I, I think of the plea at the end of our hymn, Abide With Me, Hold Thou Thy Cross Before My Closing Eyes. I, I can only assess myself in view of, of that, that cross. Uh, Franzman said, that's God's future, and it's the only future that matters. Okay, yeah. One of the reasons why I kind of like, why I kind of thought about putting Jesus into the theme, if you if you begin with the with the idea that here Jesus who loves us wants us to assess and to think these issues through, and then you get then you exposit the text and you read the text. I'd like to say something about that later, but anyway, you read the text and you exposit the text. And then at the end of it, there, I guess, is where I would use that Moses illustration. I set before you life and death. 
But then that's where I could come back to Jesus and say, so here he is. Here's this Jesus who wants us to assess, this Jesus who loves you and loves me and, and gave his life for me and, and, and wants nothing more than for you to be in his arms forever and offers you all the protection that his word and sacraments can afford. And kind of to end on that high gospel note, I, I think is where I, where I would be interested in going. Okay, yeah, great suggestions. Um, well, I think we've given preachers, yeah, a lot of food for thought here uh, in, in working with this text, um, brought out some of the main themes. Um, let me just open it up. Anything more that you'd like to add regarding this text or further ideas? Uh, John, go ahead. Uh, just some ideas for illustrations. Uh, as I said in a previous podcast, I did a lot of military ministry through my days, and I mentioned the Navy SEALs once before, so I have to get them in again. I actually went on the Navy SEALs website, and it says right in the beginning of their website, this is how you can assess and ponder whether you want to be a Navy SEAL. And they lay out exactly what it's going to cost you in a sense. And in the first phase of training, just in black and white, they say you're going to be doing four mile runs, timed obstacle courses, but then it's going to culminate in something known as hell a week, a grueling five and a half day stretch. You'll sleep about four hours in total over five days. You'll run 200 miles, train 20 hours a day, and you will break down physically. And they just put that right out there. And you think, in the, who in the world would ever want to be associated with that? But many do. <laughs> well, why? Because you're, you're, some, you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. Uh, they voluntarily accept these hazards because of the mission that they're doing and, what, and the identity they have as Navy SEALs. And when Jesus lays these things out, yeah, my sinful nature says, well, why would I ever want to do that? But if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm connected to him forever. What an identity. And then while I carry this cross, he's using me to, to um, Lord willing, save one more soul at a time from death forever, too. So there, there's blessings from Jesus in that. Uh, maybe the other one I'll just throw in there real quickly. My wife, who I know, loves me dearly. Um, she strongly encourages me to get up at 530 in the morning, like every day, to put down the bag of tortilla chips that I would eat every morning and to pick up something called weights and go work out. And I scream and I think this must be the worst thing for me in the world, right? But <laughs> because she loves me so much, she uh, she's up front with how much it's going to hurt. But in the end, it's for my best. <laughs> Just a couple of illustrations. No, there. I don't think I love my wife enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's more fear than love, I will admit. <laughs> Well, in case my wife listens, I'm going to say I do love her enough to do it. Oh, good, good, good for you. Uh, ben, go ahead. Yeah, earlier we talked a little bit about what do we do with these hard words and, and um, being careful not to overanalyze some of them, like the Jesus list, like you gouge out your eye, you know, or Origen famously did emasculate himself, big mistake, but he, you know, taking Jesus seriously and, and, um, I wonder if we can do a little bit of, you know, it when you see it, like, like the Justice Stewart's definition of pornography, salt is salty. I don't have to put it on a scale. I don't have to get my electron microscope out. I put the food in my mouth and the McDonald's fries taste delicious. The salt's salty. Um, otherwise, we could just, we could get bogged down and our nature wants to do this. We want to quibble with, well, did I really count the cost? And how did I count the cost? It, it made me think of a, a scene uh, from a uh, somewhat obscure book, The Name of the Rose. Um, Umberto Eco, and they made a movie with Sean Connery. And I can't remember how the book portrayed it, but in the movie, 
there was this huge meeting, this very important meeting was happening at the monastery. All these big shot chief high mucky mucks, grand high poobahs were coming and it's being presented as this important council to settle a, a church render a church rending question that of the faith. And they're all dressed in their finery and the, the cardinal leading it stands up and says, this is a battle among the Franciscans, of course. Um, today, we will settle the question of whether Jesus owned his clothes or not. And they kind of mockingly portray it in the movie a little bit like this is really what we're getting into. And we can, we can get into the weeds there with, you know, some, so you'll, you'll know if you're loving Jesus or not, we can see that. And then the other thing, something Jim said spurred it when he said to come into the end with the, the, the beautiful gifts God's given us in the means of grace. And, and I was thinking too, that this text also shows us why God places us within the, within the context of the church uh, among other Christians. Um, in our, in the small called articles, we praise highly the mutual consolation of brethren. I need to be consoled by, by brethren. I need to be picked up or sometimes knocked down. I, so I need law and gospel. I need a spiritual father for strength and guidance and encouragement. And you said it earlier, um, when the evangelical church runs sprints past confession and absolution to application, to appropriation, to my best life now, we need to stop for a longer time on absolution. I need to be forgiven and then forgiven again. I, I need the atonement of Christ, a rock to settle upon. So just only within the church can we really march together. It's only my wife who forces me to not eat the chips. On my own, I'm eating the chips. The church, the church I'm gathered into will help me. This is just something, this is not connected to this text. And, and you can edit this out if you want to after a while, John, but I think, I think of all of the things that I wrote in on sermon manuscripts when I taught homiletics, I don't think I ever wrote more often, where is the text? Where is the text? In other words, a student was preaching the point of the text, but he wasn't quoting the text. He wasn't alluding to the text. I don't hear many other preachers anymore. I mostly hear myself, but, but I have noticed recently again in, in watching sermons that I'm hearing a lot of sermons where the preacher preaches, reads his text in the beginning of the sermon. And then when he exposits, he doesn't read the text again. In other words, if I'm, if I'm preaching on this text, you know, to say, and not only does Jesus call us to, to um, now I got to get it out so I can quote it. Not only does Jesus call us to um, consider even our own life, but he also call, calls us that whoever does not carry this cross, and, and you get what I'm saying? to actually read the text as I'm preaching the sermon. And I think, I think that helps people to see this preacher of mine is actually preaching on what the scriptures say. He's not just preaching about it. He's actually preaching on what the scriptures say. And if you keep this on, I, I just encourage that, that as you preach, make sure that you keep alluding to the passages that you're preaching on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very valuable. Um, I'll confess that I often do that in my sermons because it gives me an excuse to look down um, and read, and then I can, can take a look at what's coming next uh, and re refresh my memory. So there's that added benefit too, but no, seriously, that, that is wise. And 
I think it does send the signal that you're not making explicit, but it, it certainly is implied that I'm not, uh, I am really trying to uh, proclaim to you what scripture says right here and, uh, and expound that for you and explain that and apply that for you. Um, so uh, a very fitting encouragement, I think. All right. Well, thank you very much, brothers, for your time spent with this text. And I think um, preachers will be helped um, as they continue to work on their sermons on this text. Uh, Lord bless you, preachers, as you proclaim the word of life.